Welcome to season two of Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me, as always, is my co-host, who may not always fly, who but who definitely falls with style, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? There's a snake in my boot, Andy. But otherwise, <laughs> I'm good. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> it itches. <laughs> I don't like it. Well, pull your string. Maybe you'll get something else. Fair hey, uh, <laughs> I hope everybody was able to uh, take some time to discover some of our film gems in season one. We certainly covered a lot of ground in those 20 episodes, uh, Larry. But man, we have a lot more to cover. There's so much more to cover. Uh, I'm overwhelmed by the amount. We barely made a dent. <laughs> but it feels feels like we did a lot, but we have a lot more heavy lifting to do. So we have sure. a guest, but we have a guest today. We do have a guest. Our guest is Linnell Edwards, whose most recent collection of poetry is The Great Green Valley, which is published by Broadstone Books in 2020. It's a chapbook of documentary poetry based on revisionist narratives of Kentucky's pioneer founding in the 18th century. Three additional full-length poetry collections, Covet, The Highwayman's Wife, and The Farmer's Daughter, were published by Red Hen Press. A chapbook, King of the Rock and Roll Hot Shop chronicles the work and art of a glass-blowing studio. Her short fiction, book reviews, and essays have appeared in numerous literary journals. Her work often investigates the deep connections between a people and their place, including the natural, political, and family narratives in its history. She is also the Associate Programs Director for the Spalding uh, SCPW and Faculty in Poetry and Professional Writing. Let's welcome Linnell Edwards. Hey, thank you. So excited to be here today. We're so glad to see you too. Uh, Linnell, so we let you pick the movie. What made you decide to cover Toy Story? So I've really enjoyed the podcast I've listened to in season one, which have largely been about, maybe entirely about, films from my childhood. Um, and they've sparked great conversations about the movies with, you know, family and friends. Um, but Toy Story was maybe one of the first movies I experienced as an adult coming back to Disney with my kids. So I was really interested to see mm. if it was as fantastic as I had remembered at the time. Um, and also to maybe even revisit with my kids a little bit who are now grown what their experience of Toy Story was. Uh, so it was as, just as fantastic as I remembered when I watched it this weekend, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Oh, yeah, it, it, it really does hold up very well, I think. Uh, and I think there's a certain magical age. It wasn't me, uh, and it, was, it wasn't any of us, really. If you watched Toy Story 1 when you were Andy's age, but then mm -hmm. watch Toy Story 3 when you were getting ready to go for college. I think there's probably something really magical in those movies for you. Well, so yeah, person. I mean, my, my kids are kind of what I would call the Toy Story generation. Now, in 1995, when it comes out, the older boy is just three. So it's another year or two before we see it on VHS. Um, but he did recount to me that his freshman year of college, he went with his buddies to see Toy Story 3, and there was Andy going off to college. And, you know, it was a little bit wow. of um, magic uh, is right. So, you know, we had the Buzz Lightyear, we had the Buzz Lightyear sleeping bag. I heard to infinity beyond numerous times jumping off the diving board. So, yes, it's a, it's a very much their generation. So that, that really compelled me to take a look at it with you all as well. Oh, uh, that's so great. 
I have lots of Toy Story memories of my boys, too. So that definitely resonates. I get it. Um, Yeah. So let's talk about some key facts about this movie. Um, Disney Animation Studios is right in the middle of a creative revival uh, when this movie's made. There's A Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. Um, But in contrast to what's going happening over at Disney... The team at Pixar really didn't want Toy Story to be a fairy tale or a movie where the villain doubles down in Act 3. What they wanted to do was to create a protagonist with flaws where the main characters are really the most entertaining. And we'll see, we'll, as we talk, we'll see if they really pulled that off. Huh? Um, in 2015, uh, Pixar producer Darla Anderson said in front of a D23 panel that Woody was originally conceived as a real jerk. Uh, who was cruel to the other toys, but they had to tone down his edginess to make him more friend-worthy. He was also originally a ventriloquist puppet instead of a cowboy with a pull string, which I thought was interesting. Um, And there's always been a lot of story controversy and speculation as to why Andy has no dad. Larry and I even talked about this in pre-production, but the real reason might just be a practical filmmaking budget one. Uh, Lee Unkrich, uh, one of the film's editors, and then later a director and co-director for a number of Pixar projects, said in 2010 that the real reason Andy's dad was absent is that human characters were just hideously expensive and difficult to do in those days, and Andy's dad just wasn't necessary to the story. And as I was watching this, I noticed we don't see human faces all that often in this movie, and I bet there's a reason why. Oh, for yeah. sure. It it is sort of like E.T. in that way, right? You, you almost mm-hmm. never see a, an adult. Uh, adults are almost like monsters in that world. And this is a world for kids and their toys. Right. No, I, I, I think that is a choice. Uh, at least till we get to Toy Story 2. <laughs> right, right, right. So that's all I've got for, for uh, key facts. But I thought those were interesting enough to bring to the table. All right. Well, then let's start talking about plot. Uh, let's start with the Manish Tana. And since I'm not going to do this every week, I promise, folks, but but this is the first episode of season two. So the Manish Tana opens up uh, Passover. It's when we ask about the four questions, we begin by saying, why is this night different from all other nights? And when we apply this to screenwriting, when we apply this to movies, we're generally saying, why do we start the story here? Why do we begin the movie at this particular point in time? Andy has had the toys for quite some time. He's got a long relationship with Woody. But why is today the day? Why is this the moment that we be, that we begin the movie? And I'm going to throw that out to Andy and Linnell. What do you think? Why do we begin where we begin? Well, I think, I mean, it's the birthday party is, is, you know, precipitating the new toy, which feels a little bit like a stranger comes to town kind of thing. And um, it's going to disrupt the equilibrium of the nurse. Well, it's not a nursery, I know, but of the of Andy's bedroom. Um, and uh, it sets sets it off. I just, that's what I got. No, I, I'm with you. Uh, specifically, you know, it, it sets it at a particular important part of time. Time is a, almost a character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the passing of these toys have a real feeling of particularly Woody is concerned about his mortality, his shelf life, his expiry date. And there is something about a birthday, which is both a beginning and an ending. 
And, you know, the ending of Andy's childhood is coming. They know it's coming and it's something they all dread. They're all worried about becoming obsolete. Right? Mm. Uh, no, I, I think that's a big part of it. What else you think? And Andy, you got anything for this one different? Yeah, I mean, we're watching Andy, the very first very first scene, we were watching Andy play with his toys. And what's interesting to me in that scene, and something I had not thought of before uh, watching this last time, is that Andy really infuses the characters with their characteristics. You know, Woody's the hero who saves the damsels in distress. Mr. Potato Head's the villain. Um, and Slinky and Rex are these sort of helpful side characters. And so he's setting up this conflict um, that we're going to see sort of later play out in the conflict of the Andy's Andy's room toys. What kind of conflicts do they have? And Andy Andy's kind of the one who sets that up. And of course, as Linnell said, it's his birthday party day, which is a great thing for Andy, but it's an enormous stressor for all the other toys, right? And yes. so we get to see Andy in action as this protagonist who's solving problems. Maybe passive aggressively, but he's more at you know he's but he's clearly the established leader in Andy's room, and he does face some pushback from Potato Head and Ham. So there's definitely some room for conflict there. And we also yes. learn we also learn the family's moving, right? Can I leave this up through the move? Yeah. Oh yeah, we can leave that up through the oh they're moving right. So we know that the family's moving. But the other the one other thing that the expo, uh, that that we get here, and I think I'll move us into plot a little bit because we are kind of talking about exposition and setup right now. When we see the room, we really do see this is not just Andy's room. Andy's room is a testament to his love for Woody. The cowboy sheets, the the cowboy posters on the wall, the pictures, the pictures of Woody. Uh, there 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 is a celebrate that this space really is Woody's kingdom. Uh, it, it, it's, I, it's special. There's like a, it's so clear. Woody is the top toy. Right. And that gets, that gets set up immediately in the playtime. It's all about the, the moment that Andy loves the best is Woody comes in and saves the day. Right. Everything exists there in that relationship between Andy and Woody. There's also the magical moment where Woody comes to life. Right. Right, um, because I mean, I th I remember being in the theater and watching that, and and going, okay, well, there's toys, and then all of a sudden he blinks, and I'm like, whoa, what, what just happened? Which you know, of course, sets up every child, uh, at least in this family, who never wants to give away a toy because they're alive, and what if they won't be able to ever be separated from? I have every <laughs> toy I have ever had. I, I totally have, believe this. I have them all. Oh, wow. All. Uh, <laughs> I intend to be buried with them. <laughs> Love it. Of course you do. Of course so, you do. That being said, that's yes. being said. So let's let's break down plot a little bit. So when we're talking about plot terms, we begin with exposition. And exposition is all of the information that we learn about the world prior to the event happening. And when we're talking about the event, we usually call that the inciting incident. It is the thing that causes the movie to begin. If the inciting incident doesn't happen, all we're le left with is, oh, this was a day in somebody's life, but it wasn't a particularly eventful day. And I will throw out that there are a number of different things we can point to as the inciting incident of this movie. And 
Uh, I think one of them is probably the best answer, but all of them are right. Why is what is the event uh, if, that you guys would point to as this is the event that launches our movie? Everything comes from this. Uh, um, maybe Buzz's flight. I mean that his his false flight. Um, Woody, that's Woody's challenge to him, dude. You can't fly. Oh yeah, I can fly, and uh, he commences to fly, um, which strikes me as as setting up kind of a, well, shoot, what you know is 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 Buzz gonna you know realize the reality of who he is or not? Which um, because he's flying. And that's, that seems mm-hmm. like an inciting incident, potentially. I mean, I do think that the birthday party and it's a Buzz Lightyear and boom um, is, is obviously important. But in terms of setting up a conflict, Buzz rises to the challenge and he flies. Well, and I, the other thing that happens in that, Linnell, is that the, the toys shift their allegiance. Because right. now they're like, whoa, you can do that. You can't do that, Woody. But he he can he can do all these things you know you can see them going oh you're not our leader anymore so not only is Andy rejecting Buzz but the other toys are too yeah the emergence of Buzz Lightyear on the scene is probably the Family Feud style you stole the answer for your family correct answer right it's it is it is the thing that changes Woody's life if it had just been a toy a new toy arrives that could have been an inciting incident but that's an inciting incident maybe for the whole room the person whose life is really being upended is woody because he feels himself being displaced by buzz so i would say the whole the whole um, appearance of buzz lightyear uh and, and buzz lightyear's ascendance in the hierarchy of the toy room is is arguably the inciting incident but it's not the only one that I think we could point to. Uh, so since I'm, since I'm reading some expressions here, what else could we say? We could say, for example, uh, the inciting incidents, uh, incident of this is that Woody and Buzz get lost and become lost toys. Mm. Right? Mm. We, we could point to that. That's late in the film. I'm not late in the film, but it's it's... It's where the movie really goes on its thread line of Woody and Buzz have an objective they need to achieve. They've been separated from Andy and they need to get back to him. So you could say, you know, if it wasn't for that moment, we don't really have a movie. Well, we could also say, too, that when Woody falls out of, or when, sorry, when Buzz falls out of the window, right? After Woody sort of pushes him, it turns into a, a, a you know, a, a, it becomes a revenge. It's that, a murder movie. It's, it's a murder movie. At that yes. Point. Yes. Yes. It, it, it's it's Hitchcockian <laughs> in the way that Woody suddenly has this guilt. He's done something that's too far. That was that one. I was going to say in the middle between those two points, Andy, you exactly read my mind. We could argue that's the inciting incident because that's everything before then for Woody was thought, but mm. that's the moment where he takes a wrong action. Right. Right. And we could, that's actually an incident. And of course, none of these answers are wrong. And I and I think the first answer is probably the best answer. But I could see someone looking at those other points along the way and saying they're inciting incidents. Well, I, that's what you're saying, yeah, because until that happens, we don't know really what else is going to happen in the nursery. We don't know if they're going to learn to play together. We don't know if they're just going to hang out. We don't know if they're going to get packed away soon. You know, they don't have a mission, an objective until the, yeah, 
Pizza Planet. Yeah, we don't know what our movie is yet. We we know our characters and we know our setting and we know our world, but not what our movie is going to be. Um, that that really is my point there. So just a uh, screenwriting note too. I th- I I keep coming back to this and I've been coming back to this all week. Uh, just as sort of a craft note, Linnell said something about a stranger coming to town. And simultaneously, in Buzz's mind, he's a hero going on a he is a hero going on a journey, right? In his mind. Yeah. And, but from we see it from Woody's perspective. So we have both a stranger coming to town and a hero going on a journey in the same vein where Buzz believes he's a hero. Woody sees him as the stranger that he has to reckon with. And it's this great tension, like from the get-go. And it's just so, so masterful. They have conflicting narratives Absolutely. going into, into the movie. And that's a great way of having conflict. Yes. I think that th- I think that's a great point. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, we talked about exposition. We talked about inciting incident. Next, we're going to talk about rising action and climax. And this is going to be tricky. So rising action is everything that takes place after the inciting incident, moving up to the climax, which is the big event. This is this is where I often say the forces of good contend with the forces of evil. Uh, that's not necessarily this movie, but in, in some movies, that's what it is. It's the place where everything can possibly go terribly wrong, where the audience feels the tensions are at their highest. And I think... You know, to try to get to the real conversation here, I'm just going to throw out, you know, Buzz and Woody have a fight out and get knocked out of the car, the journey to uh, Pizza Planet. There's so many times where Buzz, uh, where Woody is this close to getting back to Andy, uh, and then Buzz goes in the opposite direction. Where would you guys say, and there's there's really two answers, maybe more, this movie reaches its climax where things are at there it's the darkest hour it's the it's the moment where everything can go wrong i'm gonna say i mean i would think when they've got buzz strapped to the rocket so, so we're talking yeah no, no no i'm with you uh so we're talking about sid has strapped buzz to right. a rocket and he's gonna be he's going Watch. to explode Right, he, and, and the, there's the match business, and the match doesn't light, I think, and um, and then following that, of course, is the the out of bounds scene for for Larry. But um, I would I would have said that that's where things are really looking bad. I mean, there's several, you know, sort of I don't know, foreshadowing of that where Sid is hammering at toys and putting them in a vice and etc. Right. But you know. He's either gonna he's Buzz is either truly gonna be blasted to infinity and beyond, or we're gonna reconcile here. No, and that's a great answer. I mean, because certainly, like Buzz's life is at stake to a lesser degree. We know that Woody's life is also at stake if the gaze falls upon Woody, right? Like there, right. there's real risks. The the danger to the toys is at their to their to themselves is at their highest point. Right. There is a second place we could yeah. also point to as the climax. The second climax is the re- trying to get reunited with Andy. With Andy, okay, sure. When 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 like there's this struggle. Andy is moving away. If they don't catch up with him in time, they're going to be lost they are toys forever. Lost toys forever. That's right. And, and, and you know, go ahead. No, no, no. Please, Linnell, interrupt me. I, 
I was going to say that, yes, I see where you're going with that. For me, um, and this is the adult watching the movie, not the kid, because I never saw this movie, obviously, as a child. I, I knew they were going to catch up. I, and the, the, the chase scene, I, I sort of like, ah, ah we got a chase scene. We got to do this. It's going to be funny because it's going to be toys and it's a chase scene. And they're not going to lose Andy. No. So it didn't well, I mean, was... <laughs> it is it is it is rated uh G or PG. I, 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 they're also not gonna blow up. But yeah. here's here's the point. Here's the here's the juicy part for me. This is a double climax structure, and I'm I'm very excited about movies with a double climax structure. This is just like famously The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Dorothy has her climax with the witch, which is where I'm most worried for Dorothy. Yeah. But then we have this other issue, which is Dorothy has to get back for, from Kansas. It's a it's a double beat climax. Another movie that uses a double beat climax, which by the way is exactly the same movie as um, The Wizard of Oz. It's just a sci-fi version. Is Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. In Back to the Future, we have the confrontation with Biff, but then again, it's the return home. Is that the movie continues? Biff has been beaten, but can Marty get? Back to the Future. And and yes, I'm with you, Linnell. Obviously, he's getting Back to the Future. The movie is called Back to, <laughs> back the, to future. the Future. <laughs> but but what my my takeaway, my takeaway on this is there is this neat structure of Climax One, dispose of the villain or the antagonist or what have you. Climax two, the the return trip home. And I just think it's neat that Toy Story also parallels those two movies in that way it's it's you know not a structure that we often see but now i've got my third movie in in the list so i can write my paper on it Mm -hmm. um i'm I'm excited i'm excited awesome uh so after we have our climax we have our falling action and the we in a lot of movies the like falling action is five seconds we get five seconds of falling action, and then the movie fades out. But we get a little bit of an extended falling action here, where the toys have returned to Andy's new room, um, and which, you know, and we see Woody is back. His relationship with Bo Peep is is strong. His, he's still friends with everybody. Uh, but we also see, like, he and Buzz are sharing Andy now. Mm, right, and there's a right. lot of little neat sight things there is an equal number of space posters and mm-hmm. cowboy posters on the room right uh, and and, and buzz is included and he's more in more of a leadership role he's the one that's manning the the baby monitor right to find right. out what's going on yeah and and woody's taking a, a back seat so it's kind of a shared there's a shared uh leadership responsibility and i think that's kind of well so i want to say something more about they're both on the bed together Mm -hmm. okay i was gonna say i want to say we'll we'll come back to it then certainly yeah 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 (laughs) Uh, but but the other thing i want to say is the 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 beat here is now it's christmas Mm -hmm. time time has passed a little bit more we have another marking of the calendar and buzz has the worry that woody had Am I going to be obsolete? And then there's another signifier. Inevitably, they will. Because what's coming on the picture? It's the dog, right? Right. Dog dog displaces toy, a new tension. 
Right. So uh, that's what I had to say about the plot. Awesome. I wanted to talk a little bit about obstacles in screenwriting and why they're just mission critical. This is a really great movie for a number of reasons structurally. But when we're talking about creating tension, you've got to have obstacles because obstacles create tension, right? Some of the parts of this movie, and and feel free to chime in, but there are moments in this movie where you go, oh, wait, what's going to happen? And a lot of these happen for me in Act 3, where you have the moving van is here Now, Woody is free, but Sid wakes up and he's going to fire off Buzz. So Sid's the obstacle Um, or the time when Woody and the mutant toys band together. But then there's the dog, right? The dog's the obstacle to saving Buzz Um, in the second climax where uh, Woody sends out RC, who's the remote control car, to go get Buzz. But then the toys see this as more evidence that Woody's still a villain. The toys are now the obstacle. Um, Linnell mentioned the match. The match doesn't light, so the match is the obstacle. RC's out of battery. Now the battery's the obstacle. I mean, all of these obstacles prevent Woody from redeeming his re- his that initial revenge move with Buzz and the two of them being... And it also keeps them from be, being reunited with Andy to bring back that sort of peaceful status quo, right? Um, and so when something keeps the protagonist from getting what they want... That's when we get tension. That's when the stakes raise. And of course, the story is really served by it. I'm really curious if there are moments where of obstacle that you all saw that create this kind of moment of, wow, this is, you know, this is really a tense moment for all of you. So throughout the movie, I mean, you're, it, yes, it really gears up in the third act, Andy. I'm completely with you. Throughout the movie, there are these things, there are these moments where things almost work and then they don't. Uh, when, when Buzz is in the spaceship, the, the, the club, uh, spaceship, right. <laughs> Woody almost saves him. There's this tension that maybe Woody's going to get buzz free and then at the last second no not only not only is buzz going up so is woody right right uh and and this happens again and again there's that moment where woody has almost convinced the toys to help them with the christmas lights to get across he's 90 percent of the way there he does his little puppetry with buzz's arm and they (laughs) are convinced and then the arm comes into frame and like Rex goes to throw up because because it's so it's so monstrous. Gruesome. So gruesome, right? The movie is so smart because what it does is it lets you believe things are about to get better. And it is constantly, it is constantly, you know, yoinking the carpet out from underneath you. Uh, the biggest one for me is the match, where you're sitting there the whole time going, I remember that match. That match was planted. It's going to be important later. And the match is not important later. Uh, Woody figures it out, and you're like, Woody, I've been ahead. I've been 10 steps ahead of you this whole time. And actually, we were not 10 steps ahead of the movie. That was just there as like a red herring to confuse us. Yeah. And it's pretty great. Um, 
Yeah, the number of obstacles now that you point them out, though, I remember in the experience of watching the movie again going, oh, this is not going to work because nothing seems to work. And um, I really do like the claw scene. Um, I, I, I mean, there's a lot going on there thematically, I think, but I really like the claw scene. And, um, you know, Woody's sort of exasperation of the whole thing that he's in there and he's just going to crawl in and out and that he can't actually get Buzz. And, um, of course, all of this, the whole of Pizza Planet is just uh, amplifying Buzz's sense that he is right about being a space ranger. And he is back at HQ now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're gonna, he's gonna take his rightful place here. Right, which is again an obstacle to Woody because Woody wants Buzz to know that he is a toy, but right. everything in every bit of that pizza planet <laughs> totally negates everything Woody's been trying to work with them on. So it's, right. it's great. Right. Yeah. So, in terms of setting things up and paying them off too in this film. This is so great because you mentioned the match, Larry, where it was a, it was a false, it's almost a false payoff, right? Um, yeah. Because we're going to use something else, but the, but the other thing we're going to use has also been set up, right? Because it's when, such a, I'm it's sorry, so, sorry. It's so great because here we have Sid using this for evil where he's going to burn a hole uh, using the sun into Woody's head, right? But then Woody uses that same technology, right, to light this light this fuse. You know what? It's a light of hand. It's yes. a light of hand. It's a great and, misdirect. And it, yeah, it's a great. It's incredibly inventive and ingenious. But you know, another obstacle is Buzz becomes an obstacle to everything himself when he has. I mean, the crushing reveal of his true nature. I mean, this is not a subtle thing that he finds out. It's, you know, not a flying toy uh, across the screen there. And he then goes into a deep depression. And actually, that's the one I'm most worried about. It's like, okay, Buzz, you got to pull it out, dude. You got to get past this business of realizing, you know, of what you've just seen about you as not a flying toy um, and move forward because your only hope here is to, to work with Woody and you'll figure something out. It'll be a match. It'll be Christmas lights. It'll be a, a skateboard. It'll be something. It'll be RC. But boy, Buzz, if you don't, if you don't pull it out here, it's the end. He's in the wilderness on this hero's yeah. journey, right? And so yeah. again, you've got the hero's journey of Buzz coupled with this redemptive story of Woody, and it's just magic. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about characters. Um, Sheriff Woody, Tom Hanks, right? What do, we, what do we think about Sheriff Woody? Well, one of the things that was interesting to me, and I remember this at the time back in 19, I guess I probably saw this in more like 97 or so when the the older boy was old enough to watch it, um, was I had a little bit of trouble, se- this is not quite about the character, but s- separating out my image and knowledge of Tom Hanks and Tim Allen from the characters. Mm. It becomes a little difficult to separate them because at that point, both of them are huge stars, huge stars um, with that bring a whole lot of their mm, comic personalities to those characters. Interesting. That's yeah. Casting decisions do tend to lend. I mean, and, and part of the reason this, I, I would say part of the reason this movie is so good is because of the work of the actors 
Because again, if you watch Toy Story 1 and you watch Toy Story 4, animation has definitely gotten better, right? It's gotten sharper and more interesting. Um, And there are some kind of clunky moments in this, but boy, the characters, you know, help you forgive some of those clunky moments. Oh, yeah. So, So, Larry, what do you think about Woody? Well, I mean, what I think is great about Woody is Woody's problem exists prior to the arrival of Buzz. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like Woody isn't perfect at the start of the movie. And Bu- Buzz's arrival brings out the flaws in him, but they were already there and they're just going to come into sharper focus. What we see early on uh, with Woody is that Woody is the big man on campus uh, he's in he's in charge of everything in the room. Everybody defers to him. He's he's about keeping the other toys, uh, the other toys calm. But th- and this is the important thing. Woody is already a fraud. And, and <laughs> I'm Andy's face. I wish you guys could see what? This. No <laughs> a fraud. Come on. Yes, he's a fraud because. All of the other toys, when they find out that it's Andy's birthday, freak out. What happens if he gets a better dinosaur? What mm-hmm. happens if Andy gets a... They, they all have this panic attack, and Woody's job is to calm them down. And he says to them at the beginning, this is Andy. No one is going to be thrown out. Andy loves all of us. You don't need to worry the important thing is not how much we get played with, but that we're there for Andy when he needs us. Right, right. And he does not believe no. any uh, of it. There you go. There you go. So he's selling because something he doesn't believe in. Okay. He is he is the equivalent of of the of the politician who who tells you not to do the thing. That he secretly does. Mm, I'm which not is, worried. You shouldn't worry, right? <laughs> right. Right. I'm in control here. But uh, who gets the most freaked out when Buzz shows up? It's Woody. Yeah. Who is the one who loses sight of what is Andy feeling and focuses on what he's feeling? Again, it's Woody. Woody is not being treated worse than the other toys <laughs> in the playroom. He's being treated for the first time. He's being treated the same as the rest of them. Mm. His problem. His problem is he's no longer special. It's not that he's no longer being played with. And for me, that that really is the thing that points out that Woody Woody's problems predate Buzz mm-hmm. because because he hasn't dealt with his own demons yet. Buzz, incidentally, does not antagonize Woody deliberately. Right, <laughs> Woody. Woody is the one who takes offense at what Buzz is doing, uh, not the. Uh, but Buzz is not intentionally. Tr- Buzz is like sheriff. He treats Woody with respect. The mm-hmm. moment, maybe, maybe a little local maybe law a little enforcement. Bit, right? <laughs> maybe there's a little bit of I'm the FBI agent and I'm going to take over the case from here. But there is a collegiality between the <laughs> two of them, yeah. at least from Buzz's perspective. And and Woody is the one who is consistently rude threatened, fearful, tries to humiliate Buzz on multiple occasions, and it's all about his own insecurities. And that's great for a protagonist. It's great for a movie. That's right. Let's talk about Buzz Lightyear, voiced by Tim Allen. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think about Buzz, um, my, my son used to say, he's so brave and he's so courageous. And, and my husband and I would look at each other and go, but he's so dumb. <laughs> I mean, he's just completely unaware of reality. Yeah. And um, so, yes, completely unaware of reality. And he seems to bring together in, I think, really funny ways, all of those tropes of sort of the space ranger. I mean, every sort of buzz word about that we've all heard from every science fiction sort of movie, cartoon, superhero, um, it's all a mashup of that. And it, it's it's just really delightful because it's such a, almost a spoof on on that. That's, that's really a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I mean... Um, the character breaks through sometimes too in ways that are rewarding. You know, when he says to, and this is like a line that got repeated a lot at the time, he, he turns to Woody and says, you're a strange, sad little man. Um, <laughs> I think it's at Pizza Planet. You know, you really like Buzz for calling it like that. I think the other thing for Buzz is Buzz presents a mirror to Woody uh, in a way that Woody is not expecting. Because, because I'll, I'll say it, at the beginning of the movie, Buzz is a better person than Woody is. Oh, 100%. Buzz is the person Woody has been pretending to be. Mm-hmm. When when Woody says to Buzz, there's a toy trapped on the side of the couch, come help. Buzz leaps into action with no thought of his own safety. When Buzz sees the toys in Sid's yard, the combat Carl about to get blown up, Buzz says, no, he's a toy just like us. We need to protect all toys, not right. just the toys in this room. But like, yes, Buzz is pretending to be a hero in terms of he's pretending to be a space ranger. But he really is that heroic foil to Woody. He's everything Woody has said that he is. But for real, Buzz really does feel the responsibility and the weight that the, the power he does not have, but the power that he thinks he has, give him. Mm. And and it's hard to be reflect it's hard to to be in a room with someone who is the better version of you. Ah, and interesting. I, I, I think that's what Woody is really dealing with. I think is you're that- right. I think no, I think that's super fair. I think it's super fair. I think um with, with Buzz too, he's really capable of revenge. Um, because when he says we're not on my planet now, are we? Right. Yes. And he's like, right, there is a, there is a bridge too far. You can go too far with Buzz, right? Yes. But it's interesting what causes the bridge too far. Uh, and I, 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 Andy, I need to talk about this now. I'm sorry. I need okay, to talk about Okay. No, this. bring it. So we talk often about how Buzz is delusional because he thinks that he's a space ranger and clearly he's a toy. But in actuality, Woody is just as delusional as Buzz is because Woody thinks he's Andy's dad and he is not Andy's dad. He is a toy also. And Woody treats the arrival of Buzz as if it is the stepfather who is taking over the, his paternal role that Woody is, Woody is losing custody of his kid to this other man and is very threatened by it. When in fact, Woody, you're just a toy. You're not Andy's dad. You might think that you are, but you're not. Right? Interesting. And yeah. and and 
that for me is it's it's even that even Buzz's delusion that he's a he's a real space ranger is just a reflection of Woody's delusion that he's Andy's father. Mm. Hmm. That was something I noticed right away when I saw the movie the first time, and it became more pronounced when I watched it again last weekend. But I don't know. I'll, I'll give you Andy. I will give you Woody as Andy's dad in, in, a, in a very sort of large frame understanding of the narrative. Um, but I wondered whether or not really kids watching that film, whether the question of where's Andy's dad ever crosses their mind. Because often children's worlds right. are completely populated by their mother and their toys and their friends. And the neighborhood. And dads can be largely absent, even in fully, you know, in, in a nuclear family. Um, and it doesn't seem to be a hardship, particularly. Um, and so whether Woody, I mean, whether what, um, Andy is sort of um, unconsciously sort of making Woody a dad-like or that, that Woody thinks that, um, I don't know whether or not that's a theme that um, is registering for kids particularly. Oh, I don't know if kids register it, but I want to give you one piece of evidence uh, to my theory, and then I'll let go of it. I won't, I won't okay. harp on it. <laughs> okay. Here's Bring my it. one piece right. of evidence. All right. Do you know who, who gives Buzz to, to, to Andy? Do you remember whose present it was? It's mom's, right? It's mom's present to Andy. It's so Woody is not invited. He doesn't get to go to Andy's birthday party. He stays behind in the room. And Andy's mom brings in a replacement toy that that Andy immediately takes to and thinks is the coolest thing ever. I don't think uh, it's a co- I don't gotcha. think it's a coincidence that that present didn't come from Andy's best friend. Mm. I know it comes from Andy's mom because what Woody has to be threatened. Even Andy's mom is not on Woody's side anymore. She's the one who brought this other man into their lives. I let it go. <laughs> I'll, I'll let it go. Okay. I'll let it go. I mean, it, I is, believe, it is interesting. I mean, I believe the listener at home is with me. <laughs> okay. okay. Show your support on our Facebook fan page. There it is. Yeah, what do you think? He's Woody thinks he's Andy's dad. Yes or no? We'll put a poll up. We should put a poll up. Absolutely. That's what we'll do. That's, That's what, we'll, what do. we'll do. That's and what I'm we'll do. Hoping you validate me, listener. Uh-huh. I have a lot riding on this. Okay. Let's talk about Mr. Potato Head, um, Don Rickles, who is obviously known for his roasting abilities and as a comedian, and certainly plays that role here in this movie. I have this wonder, and I wonder if Mr. Potato Head was also once Andy's favorite, and he's bitter about having to take a backseat to Woody. And could the arrival of Buzz actually be his moment of vindication where uh, Woody's sort of knocked off of his high horse? Hmm. Age-appropriate-wise, I'm going to say that um, Potato Head might have been a momentary uh, object of fascination, but Mm -hmm. I think... Um, well, Andy would have gotten, would, would have received Woody first as a toy before Mr. Potato Head. Mm. Well, Woody came when he was in kindergarten, right? And so, according to the canon, he came in kindergarten. So maybe Potato Head came before that? And maybe well, he was displaced? I don't know. Just what I thought. think is interesting about Mr. Potato Head is he's probably the toy that Andy plays with 
second most. Mm-hmm. He's the bad guy. He's, he's the, the bad villain, guy. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's he's got a starring role in the drama that Andy creates on a weekly he's he's uh he's one-eyed Bart, I think is the name of, right. of the character. Right. He's been he's been repurposed as the villain. And then he sort of becomes Woody's villain in the toy in the toy room. Not not really villain, but but he's the one who challenges Woody more than the other toys uh in, in that room. He becomes the vo- he's the opposition party. To, to Woody's rule in Andy's mm. playroom. He's the one who, who constantly says, Woody's gone too far. Woody, you're the one who's threatened. What are you going to do if he's, Andy starts playing with me more? Right? He, he, mm-hmm. he's, been, he's been set up to be the second authority figure in the room. He's the, he's the other person that Andy plays with the most. And Andy infuses uh, Potato Head with this villainous character, so he yes. acts like a villain when he's in the room. That's interesting. What about the rest of Andy's toys? Do we have any standouts? Pam, Slinky Dog, Bo Peep, Rex, Sergeant. Are they just there for comic relief, or do they serve as purpose, story engine? What do they do? Bo Peep, I think, is a standout. And I think I think she stands out as the other adult in the room. Like Woody is supposed to be one of the adults, and if Woody is the dad to the toys, um, Bo Peep is is the mom to the toys. And part of me wonders if that's because she's actually not Andy's favorite toy; she's um, Hannah's favorite toy. Uh, Bo Bo Peep is um, Hannah's lamp, uh, and and the uh, three she she, she belongs. Oh, Hannah's to Hannah. wait, Hannah's Sid's. Wait a minute, Hannah's Sid's. Not Hannah. Um. Um. What, what's the name of M- Molly? Molly. Molly's a little baby. There we go. She's yeah. a little baby, but that's her lamp. It's a Bo Peep. It's a nursery rhyme. It's a nursery rhyme little little yeah. thing. And maybe, maybe right, like she's there. She's there for Molly and not for not for Andy. So they're both sort of like within. You, you, you do notice like the kids share a room in the first house, right? Right, right, like, right. So, so yeah. there's sort of like. You know, maybe like two different ecosystems happening there. Okay, got it. Emerged, but but she also provides the idea that there's adult time for Woody, right? right. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be dirty here. I'm I'm trying just, just around say, the block. Like, right, there's right. a world of adult toys and child toys, and there's something about the two of them. Maybe they're older toys from another. They've seen they've seen more kids' rooms come and go. Uh, possibly, I, I don't. There's an experience to the two of them that the rest of them don't have. Interesting. She's a, more of a colleague. Yeah. Okay. I like that. That that helps me, Bo Peep, because I wasn't real fond of Bo Peep. As much as I want there to be, say, a strong female character or toy, um, Bo Peep wasn't doing it for me. And um, but I see what you're saying. You're right. She does seem to be a little bit above the fray um, in some way, and. Um, Okay, I'll give you Bo Peep. Um, I mean, I I love the again the inventiveness and the in- ingenuity of, of these other these other characters. And I remember also watching it and being struck by oh these are toys I had. I had a Slinky and I had a Etch a Sketch and I had there's some other toys around too that I recognize from my childhood. Uh, not Army Men. I love the Army Men and I can't figure out why and the sort of Roadrunner like violence that you know befalls them. Um, uh, but they're they're a funny little little troop, um, and I, I think they're great. 
I think the thing that's really funny about the army men is more than the other toys, they accept their own mortality. Yeah. They're just army men. You, you, you don't get passed down through the generations. Uh -uh. You get stepped on, you get broken, you get thrown out. That's the war they're fighting. Kicked to the side by mom, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. I mean, they, they've embraced the thing that Woody fears the most. Uh, they know they're disposable. What about yeah. Andy and Andy's mom? What do we think of them? Andy Davis, right? Andy Davis is six. And imaginative, and I love his cardboard settings that he creates for his play. That's like my favorite part. And how he creates his own costume to be Buzz Lightyear. I think that's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, he's Andy, more of a little boy. Go ahead. I, I think we're supposed to project onto Andy any precocious kid that we've had and that we've loved. We're like, like, we get to see him at his creative, silliest, best, just having fun, living in the moment, being a kid. And, and you know, like, not to be a bummer, we don't get those moments anymore as adults. And so I think as an adult watching this movie, that's the thing that we key into, the, the special time in childhood where you can really live in this battle of Woody fighting Mr. Potato Head. And, like, that's your whole world. Like the the imaginary worlds you get to be in when you're a kid, uh, is just so special and sacred. How do you not love Andy? How do you come away from the movie not caring about him? Right. Right. So good. What about all right? We our antagonists. We have Sid, Hannah, and the mutant toys, who are my personal favorites of this movie. Wow. Are the mutant I'm toys. so glad you say that. I'm I love so the glad you say toys. that. I would much rather you champion them than me. Everyone expects it from me. Why do you why do you like Sid, Hannah, and the mutant toys? Uh, we had a Sid in our neighborhood when I was a kid. <laughs> well, was I, awful. I, I do too. I mean, the, first of all, those mutant toys are amazingly inventive. I mean, wow. And it's the other thing is they're Sid's, I mean, they're Pixar's creations, but they're Sid's creation, which okay. <laughs> I think Sid's pretty sophisticated, um, and he's interesting. He's interesting to me in a way that Andy's not, actually. Um, and he has complicated, sophisticated name. He's a little bit older than Andy, right? Maybe he's nine. Um, and he has complicated, sophisticated narratives that involve mission control and problems with gear and, you know, horror movies. And then he's got those awful posters in his room and, um, you know, um, and but the mutant toys. And the fact that they don't, speak and they don't have a voice I think is a big is important to the theme as well and who has an authoritative voice the thing that's really interesting to me about Sid and I think first of all you're right Sid is a genius right there is like for whatever is wrong with Sid there is there is something that is very right very creative um, and I could see Sid growing up to create like some really special postmodern art. These yes. are masterpieces. If uh -huh. you put these things in a museum, people would just sit and talk about what his intention was, how how he what what do these things mean? They're uh -huh. brilliant. And and I know Toy Story Three is later going to reveal that Sid becomes a garbage man, and there's nothing wrong with being a garbage man. But but the idea here that like Sid isn't also an artist bothers me. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's that really um, for me unlocks Sid 
it's the way that he plays with the toys Mm -hmm. as opposed to the way Andy plays with the toys. Andy takes the God's eye perspective, the omniscient narrator. He controls everybody. He makes them interact. He's not in their stories. He's using them to tell stories. He's a storyteller. Sid's a character. Sid is a character in his own stories. Right, right. And when we see Andy for the first time, Andy has tons of friends coming to his birthday party because they're moving soon. Andy has a community of kids who love him. Sid is alone. And I'm not saying Sid doesn't deserve to be alone. I'm not saying that. But that Sid and his relationship with his toys is very much about, like, the rest of the world thinks I'm mad. I'm going to show you how... He's the mad, evil mad scientist, right? The rest of the... They said I was mad. They expelled me. But now I will show them who's truly the genius. He's that classic, lonely, embittered mad scientist. and But he's also a little boy. Right. Well, if toys come to life because a child like Andy loves them, right? When a child like Sid destroys them, then they have to remember who they are to be loved again. And so when Woody and Buzz show up, and, and even Hannah's dolls, right? They're headless, but they're able to be functional at the tea party because Hannah loves them, Right. That love is what animates them. And so other without love, they're all hiding in the shadows and under the bed. And so that Woody puts them on mission. And and they have a mission now to save Buzz. And I think it's I think it's pretty pretty special. But also Sid is a victim. And Sid is I, I think there are significant hints that Sid's home life is not he's neglected. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. I mean, we, we briefly see Sid's dad. But the image that we see is him in his underwear, holding a beer, asleep, asleep watching TV. We never mm-hmm. see him interact uh, with his kids. And right. also, someone is letting this little boy buy really dangerous fireworks. Yeah. They've let him set up his room with all of these tools that he should not have. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's he's he's being allowed to he's neglected. There's no structure being put in place for this kid and they allow this kid to to con- to bully his younger sister mm-hmm. in the in the I mean Sid's most villainous moment for me is not anything he does to 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 Woody or Buzz because as far as he knows they're his toys and he's going to play with them the way that he wants to play with them and that's his right but it's the violation of Hannah's toys when he takes that doll and he chops off the doll's head and puts a puts a pterodactyl head on top right. of it that is the worst thing that he does. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, or oh well, maybe the worst thing that he does is decapitate his daughter his sister's uh dolls. That's, That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's something he's done repeatedly. Yeah. And it's never been stopped. That's his villainous moment. What he does mm-hmm. to Woody and Buzz, he really does believe he won them at Pizza Planet. Yeah. If he wants to break his toys, he can break his toys. All right, so this leads us into something you wanted to talk about, Larry, which is breaking the rules. Okay. So something happens in this movie that's um, interesting in that none of the... Andy never gets to see the toys actually be animated. But there is this moment where somebody gets to see these toys being animated and Woody leads that charge. What are your thoughts? Yes. 
in a movie that is so smart about planting things and paying things off, we have this moment, and I, I can see it. It's a writer's room problem. It was an all-hands-on-deck situation. They got Woody and Buzz to Sid's room, and they couldn't figure out how to get him out. They, they didn't have an escape plan for it. And they also need Sid to have a comeuppance. And they've got really limited tools here. So the thing that Andy and Buzz do, not Andy, Woody and Buzz do, the things that Woody specifically does that drives me crazy is he says to the other toys, we're going to break the rules. And they do this Twilight Zone episode thing with Sid, which to a degree is fine. Except... When Woody starts talking directly to Sid and he makes his head spin around, he adjusts his voice box to make it say things that it's never said before. He talks directly to him. And that for me is, wait, he can do that? Why can he do that? And why, why is he, why is, so many toys have been destroyed silently and stoically and heroically at the hands of Sid. Why? I had assumed that one of the rules was you cannot get caught being alive uh, in front of people. You're allowed to in front of animals. People cannot see you be alive. And the fact that Sid gets to see it, I... I it makes me question the rules of this universe in a profound metaphysical sort of way. Like, like, does this movie, like, to a degree, we could look at this movie like, this is the story, like, of, like, why your toys are never in the place where you thought that you left them. It's because they come to life and they move, and but you'll never catch them doing it. They choose for you to not see it. Well, and maybe. any moment you're you you might think that they're not alive they can do anything they could kill you in your sleep if they want to <laughs> all right while you're entertaining and incredibly so i want to i want to counter this because on the one hand we have the rules that are for toys in normal circumstances yes. i would argue that sid is not a normal circumstance living in sid's life is not normal and these toys that are living at Sid and Hannah's house think that they have to follow the rules when they're being abused and hurt and whatever. But in this scenario, Woody says, this isn't okay. I'm going to show some leadership. We're breaking the rules and all the toys figure out, oh, we don't have to take this from Sid anymore. But Andy, where do the rules come from? <laughs> Well, I Who guess it's just made inherent. those rules? Mate is, there a, is there a UN Fisher Price. of toys <laughs> where they made like a treaty and they all signed it and and Woody is breaking the treaty? Did like like where where are these rules from? If you are just allowed to break them whenever I it's one thing if it's a limit of what he can do. If he can't move when he's being watched, if he can't talk when he's being mm. watched, that is a limitation on his body, right? It's just he can't. But the fact that he's choosing not to talk, that that he at no point like like it was always a choice. Every toy is always making the choice not to reveal themselves to the kids throughout the world. So I, I don't get it. 
All right. This, us, I love that this happens. I love that they talk to him because every toy come to life, animal talking in secret movie, I always kind of wonder, look, problem solved. Just address the human. Um, so I love that they do this. And um, I think that the reason they don't otherwise is because they know it's risky, right? They know that the risk that Andy talks to, that Buzz, that Woody talks to Andy, for instance, he would never take that risk because the consequences would be too great. They don't have anything to lose talking to Sid because nobody believes Sid anyway. He's dismissed, right? Sid can go screaming into his parents and say, the toys were talking to me, and he knows, oh, we are up in the Ritalin, or, um, you know, uh, we're, we're, you know, problem here. And you know they didn't quit, right. quit. We're taking them away. So there's no risk in talking to Sid. I also think that this is introducing, and I think, okay, so now... I'm going to ask you to entertain my pet theme here that is going to be a stretch, which is I think there's a kind of meta theme going here that's coming from Pixar as their debut film, which is we're going to ask you to buy a whole new kind of technology in the children's film animation and that Buzz is a new technology uh, and we're being asked to think of him as a legitimate toy and earn his spot as a legitimate toy strikes me as Pixar also kind of saying, um, this is different. This is a new kind of thing. And there's a lot of that kind of digital joke around. I remember, I saw, remember seeing there's a, a sign up in Andy's yard for virtual realty. Um, and I think that also when, when he says we're going to break the rules and they're going, oh, you sure did break the rules, Pixar. And I also think that that breaking of kind of the fourth wall or breaking the rules of toys is maybe Pixar saying, here's a whole new kind of movie and a new kind of narration uh, that is um, a little meta and a little kind of wink, wink. Um, and I think kids are more sophisticated um, and kids going forward are going to be much more sophisticated in their viewing of children's stories. And I think part of that is we're talking it, Sid. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. It just, it just makes me wonder <laughs> about the God of the Toy Story universe. I, I mean, I already wonder why toys are allowed to feel pain, but, but you know, it's, it just makes me wonder why they can do what they do and why, and why it doesn't happen more often Whereas if they had found another way to get Woody and Buzz out of there, which kept the secret intact, I wouldn't be asking those questions. Again, this movie is a mega hit. It's huge. It's big. I'm wrong. You know, like that I don't like this part of the movie. I know I'm wrong, but I'm saying it causes existential crises in me this moment and 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 that's and that's all I'll say but if i'm no. the only one this moment is hurting then that's fine no i really do i think i think Linnell's on to something no, and i al yeah. i also think that when sid hurts woody and woody lays there and takes it and then all you know with the burning of the of his forehead and he lays there and takes it and then he goes you know what i'm not going to lay there and let my friend take it we're going to break the rules. Like, I get it. I just think he just kind of comes into that in his own. Whoever made the rules, like I said, Mattel, Fisher Price, whoever makes the toy rules, right? Um, I think he I think he says, no, I'm not going to lay there and take that. I'm not going to let my friend lay there and take this. And I think that's I, the I moment think, yeah. where they actually become friends. 
Where Woody yeah. sees him as a friend instead of a foe. And whatever the consequences, or whatever the reasons for not revealing themselves otherwise, I think are not uh, in place with Sid. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Did we solve your existential crisis? No, <laughs> but I'm, I'm willing to let it be unresolved. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, let's talk about themes in this. Let's talk about themes in this movie. Um, what do we think some of the themes are? Uh, so I have this like idea that maybe this movie is about redemptive love and uh, <laughs> the power, the power of like, but but truthfully, what what both Woody and Buzz need to learn is to put themselves in service for their love of Andy. That what mm-hmm. you know, like that's that the real act is not about being selfish. It's not about being a. It's not about being a space ranger. It's not about being the toy that you play with the most. It's just about loving your kid. And nothing is more important than loving your kid. That's it. Hmm. Uh, I so mean, let, Linnell, just to let you know, and our listeners to know, that redemptive love is always Larry's theme. <laughs> yes, I've always I've always, redemptive love certain times. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, I think it's always good. I think it's always there. Uh, it's always true. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, what jumped out to me the first time watching the movie and was present again is, you know, identity and the construction of childhood, I think, too. Um, and um, the struggle to find your authoritative voice. Um, and I've lost it. I, I think mortality is another theme here. I really do. I, I mean, as much as this is a kid's movie and I don't want to dwell on mortality too much, these these toys know they come with a shelf life and and it impacts almost everything that they do here. Um, and and it's that it's it's about being present in the moment as opposed to looking towards the end. I think that's a big part of the toy story. Childhood ends. We know mm-hmm. childhood ends, um, but it's about enjoying childhood while it's there. Right, being present in that moment. So, Linnell, you also brought up something about that meta theme of what's going on between Disney, like Disney. If Disney, if we're, the analogy is Disney is Woody and Pixar yeah. is Buzz, uh, can the two coexist? Right. And the answer that this movie answers is yes, yeah. we can coexist. Um, yeah. One isn't better than the other. They're both. They're both. They both play a role. They both love their children. That's right. That's right. It's just a different way of loving your kids, but the more ways you find to love your kids, the better that it is. Oh, I like that. I like that. It's <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. yeah. That is good stuff. That's right. That's All right. That's right. All right. Pitch time. So we're given this movie. We've got Toy Story 2. We've got Toy Story 3. We've got Toy Story 4. We've got Lightyear. We've got Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. We've got the TV series, including Forky. And we've got all the all of the Pixar shorts with uh, Mr. Potato Head. I mean, all of it. Uh, what is, if anything, is there possible to do with this franchise for some sort of a pitch? So I wanted a Sid story in the same way that I wanted to make a pitch for Lampwick in Pinocchio. Um, 
but and now you tell me that I, I didn't. I did not. I saw Toy Story two, but not three. So I did not know we'd seen Swords uh, Sid's fate. But I liked very much the idea. First of all, that he did get a comeuppance that stuck despite his poor household situation. But that kids can be redeemed too. And I like the idea that Sid takes a non traditional path of garbage man slash um, you know performance artist or uh, an inventor. And he's got a side gig where he's got a gallery full of this stuff, and it's being embraced. Um, I love I that. I love that. I the too. idea that he's a, he's a garbage man, but that's where he actually gets his art supplies right. to build right. the things that he's going to build that maybe nobody gets, but are yeah. almost certainly amazing. I yeah. love that. I love that. And I think, too, I like the Sid and Andy. I don't think we know in Toy Story 1 whether Sid and, Sid and Andy don't have any particular relationship, even though they're next door. But I like the thought that Andy wanders into the gallery and there's a, you know, that you recognize somebody and that uh, there's a, a, not a, rec well, kind of a reconciliation, but... Um, um, I like that. I like that's what I like. I couldn't come up with a prequel that made sense or that was very fulfilling, particularly. Well, I mean, one could argue like the first moment that Woody met Andy might be there might be a story there. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that that could conceivably work as a prequel, like the, the formation of that bond, the beginning of their relationship. I don't know what that story would be. Maybe that uh, would help us understand what happened to Andy's dad. Right. Right. I mean, it could be. I, 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 my pitch uh, is similar to Linnell's pitch, but it's actually about Hannah, uh, Sid's younger sister, who is also a remarkably creative child who has these elaborate Pride and Prejudice style tea parties yeah. with her kids. She uh -huh. lives in this house that is I mean, like, like where Sid is running rampant. Um, and, and I think she is amazing. I think, I think the, the playing with her dolls, the, the, the dialogue that she's giving at those tea parties is just so fantastic. Yeah. I want to see a story about this little girl with her two headless dolls coming into her own. I love her. And, and I'll, I'll throw out to you if like Toy Story 5, Andy has married Hannah, I'm there for it. <laughs> Oh, I think she's I a riot girl. There for it. They so are Hannah kind of gives Hannah kind of gives me this Lilo vibe. Like yes. she kind of has that, like kind of like she's edgy, and I yes, I want to see that. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, I have an idea. Uh, let's see. So Slinky Dog Dash is this great coaster at Disney World and at at Hollywood Studios, and so I started thinking, well, what if Slinky really became a star? Right? What if he's taken to a thrift store? And uh, because, you know, how, how I mean, Slinky, if, if one of these characters is really going to go, it should be Slinky Dog because, you know, yes. I mean, how much can you do with a Slinky past about age four? Right. Um, what if he's taken to a thrift store and he has to really learn to embody life as this attack dog with a built in force field? Right. <laughs> and he learns to lead instead of always taking directions. So what if he breaks the rules like we talked about? Right. And he teaches his new child to play check checkers instead of just spending time lamenting his loss of Andy's toys. And what if this kid really needs him to break the rules for some reason? And he really wrestles with it somehow and strikes out on his own as more of a leader than a follower and then makes him irreplaceable to this child who will never let him go. Right. That's my thought. 
Okay. I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, of the characters, I think Slink is the least developed of of the main characters. Uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd like to see. I'd like to see him get some edges. I'd like yeah. to. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. That sounds good. All right. Well, this has been a wild ride. <laughs> Thank you, Linnell, for joining us for all of this. Thank you. I think you really exercised some things I needed coming. to say about Toy Story and my kids, and and yeah. Aw. No, I think I think that meta theme is going to be with me for a long time. I'm going to be thinking about that when I think about Disney and Pixar for sure. All right, Larry. Next week, what are we doing? We are covering 101 Dalmatians. Oh, I'm super excited for that one. That'll be great. Yes, and, and just so you know, folks at home, this is the original animated 101 Dalmatians. Uh, so so we're we're going we're going old school animated version here. Right, 1960. I'm going to get it wrong. 67, maybe. Uh, I, I 60. I'll go with that as a guess. Okay, we will know. We will, we will know, know next, next week. Next. Yes, yes. Well. Friends, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and go to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast source you use and give us a review? Or better yet, share this podcast with another Disney fan. And I don't mean you just like tag them or link them or whatever, but like give them a shout. Like I'm, I, I think maybe people still email each other, right? Email a friend and say, hey, you know, listen to this you podcast. You go on a long car ride with your friend. You lock the doors. <laughs> you play the music once upon a Disney comes on and you do not let them out until they've listened to three consecutive episodes. And you have and, and at that point, at that point, if they don't like it, they're wrong. Larry, that sounds like kidnapping. I don't know if that's a good idea. Okay. So, okay. Forget the kidnapping part. Just email them. Okay. Just send them an email. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> and you can be sure to also join our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. And of course, if you have any questions or you want to uh, box with Larry, you can t- always tweet us at, at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6 or drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends. See you real soon. See you real soon.